Let's turn together to the 11th chapter of Hebrews this morning, Hebrews chapter number 11. We began this chapter last week primarily looking at verse number 1 and defining what faith is and dealing with the realities of how we are to view faith and how faith is to be demonstrated. Uh, This morning we want to deal with the first six verses And I want to deal with the subject this morning of the nature of faith. Uh, The nature of faith. So verse 1 will be a repeat of what we read last week. But let's begin there in verse 1 together. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony, that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. One of the beauties of faith is that phrase found in verse 1. It's the word or the phrase, hoped for. Hope is truly a blessed gift from God. It is this strange mystery in the flesh that we have hope in a God that we cannot see with our physical eyes. Yet it is this faith that brings us peace to the Spirit. It's faith which brings us this comfort which the world apart from Christ does not know. Hope is a wonderful thing. But hope that is founded or based on something that cannot be hopeful is not a blessed thing. My hope is found in Christ alone. My hope is found in God alone. Uh, The world's hope is placed in things that are fleeting, things that will pass away. But our hope is in God this morning. Our hope is in the work of Christ. We see the nature of our faith and its principles are being declared even in these opening verses of chapter number 11. Faith is always directed at Christ. Faith is always looking Christward, if you will. Its design of faith, the design of faith, is to honor God and to please God. Uh, Faith is pleasing to God. Verse 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we know that this is vitally important. We cannot please God apart from faith, which completely undermines all of man's thoughts of thinking, I can do things that please God. I can be a good person. I can give. I can be an encouragement. But without faith, it's impossible, the writer says, to please God. The intent of faith is to honor and please God. In these words, we see that faith is indeed honored by God. Faith obeys God and faith is rewarded by God and ultimately faith pleases God. 
The single reason why all this is the case is because faith ultimately believes God. When someone says, what is it to have faith? It is to believe God. Faith is rewarded by God. All the works that flow from faith please God because faith is to the honor and to the glory of God. That's why it pleases Him. Faith is designed, and by its very nature, to put all the glory upon the head of Jesus Christ. Faith is not a nebulous idea. Faith is not what I want it to be. Faith is designed to give glory to God. Now, by way of context and overview, you'll notice that verses 2 through 5 begin what's referred to often as a catalog of various people who pleased God. Now, one thing I want us to remember, oftentimes we approach this passage and we say, these are people that pleased God in the past. But let's make something very, very clear. They not only pleased God in the past, but they continue to please God. In other words, their presence here on this earth is no longer, but they are in the presence of God now, and they are pleasing God. Our faith is not just temporal. Our faith is not just for this life. It's not just something that we're pleasing God now, our faith. Faith is eternal. Faith will go on in an everlasting manner. We will be faithful people even in heaven. We will have this faith that is pleasing to God, but we have to understand where this faith comes from. Now, the first people that are mentioned are often the most overlooked. And the first people that are mentioned are in verse number two. They are simply referred to as the elders. Now, these elders has nothing to do with their age. And it really has nothing to do with the church office of an elder. It refers to those who in ancient times believed God. These elders believed God. It means they had faith. What does it say about them? For by it, the it refers to the faith, the, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things seen, and by that faith they obtained a good report. Notice it doesn't say anything that they did. It doesn't say that they did anything to get a good report other than referring to they believed God. Now, there are a couple people we will look at this morning. We see Abel is mentioned, we see Cain is mentioned, and we see a man by the name of Enoch is mentioned. It is said of these, and it is said of them, that they received a good report. But understand something, this good report is from God. This good report is not from themselves, it's not from other people. It is God declaring that these men, these elders, received a good report. The basis of this report, this basis of this announcement of a good report, is because it lines up with what verse 6 says. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. That means these elders received a good report because they please God by faith. Note that this is a general statement. There is not a single work that's being pointed out as to the reason why these elders received a good report. Just simply, they received a good report. The only evidence that we're given is that faith was the reason they got a good report. 
It puts to rest all the ideas of it's my works that please God. It's what I do that pleases God. No, it's the faith that actually pleases God. Now, there are works that we do. There are things that we do, but it's faith that pleases God. We'll see an example, a very clear example with the story of Cain and Abel, which demonstrates what faith really is. The reason that there's no work being recorded here for these elders is because the very work that they did or the very thoughts that are here is their faith. Faith in what? What did they have faith in? Or rather, whom did they have faith in? Remember, these elders in the ancient times did not have this clear picture of what you and I have in Christ today. They could not see what you and I can see. It still amazes me when you say that to to believers. You have more clarity in what you can see than Abraham ever had. You have more clarity than Enoch had. You had more clarity than Noah. You have a a clarity that you can see that these couldn't, and yet these elders got a good report. But faith cannot be undefined. It can't just be in something nebulous. It can't just be out there. It has to be faith in something. They had faith in a perfect Savior. They had faith in a perfect sacrifice, even though they couldn't clearly see it. They had faith in a person. They had faith. These elders were said of receiving a good report, which also implies that they were accepted by God as being faithful And they are in Christ, and they are still in Christ. They obtained this good report by faith. Now remember, where is faith? Faith is the gift of God. Faith was given to them by God. He's not just honoring faith as a concept, but rather he is honoring that which has been employed by these recipients. In other words, they acted in faith. That's very important because if we get this backwards, we'll begin to think that salvation is based on works. And you'll get the idea that Abraham was saved the day that he took Isaac up to Mount Moriah. The reason he took Isaac up to Mount Moriah is because he was already a man of faith. That did not save him by taking him up to Mount Moriah. He took him in faith because he had faith in God. That regardless of what happened on that mountain... It wasn't his work that saved him. That work was a work of faith as a result of the faith that he possessed. Man is trying in all ways to try to conjure up his own faith. He's trying to find ways to make himself faithful. Faith is a very interesting concept. Uh, We have faith every single day in something. I've used that crude illustration with the 5th and 6th graders that I teach. I've used the illustration of the faith that we place in a bridge when we cross a bridge. Uh, We don't stop the car and wonder, is the bridge going to hold me? We don't wonder, did the engineers do their job? Now, some people do, I guess. There are people, every time they cross a bridge, they said, I wonder if this was inspected recently. And they look at the bridge and they say, look at the rust. I think those bolts are coming loose. That road looks cracked. I don't want to go across that bridge. But we often cross over these things and we're just doing that. That is putting faith in the people responsible for that bridge. Now, whether we think about it or not, some are are more frightened of that than others. I know for a fact some in this room are very, very, very frightened of bridges. 
a matter of fact, they would avoid the bridges if we could. But it takes too long to get places if we avoid the bridges. But there's an act of faith in every aspect of our life. We have faith that we're going to wake up in the morning. We have faith that, we're, that we are going to have an afternoon, whatever it is. We have, there is these aspects of faith. So it is an interesting concept. But notice that faith defined is in verse 1. Faith is the substance or the essence, as we looked at last week, the assurance or the certainty of things hoped for. True faith is certain. It's certain of what? The things that we hope for. The evidence of things that we do not see. It's first the very ground, the essence, the substance, the certainty, the proof of invisible things that are anticipated. That's what faith is. We're anticipating what we will see, not what we see now. This aspect of faith has to do with not our feelings, but has to do with the doctrine and the promises of God, what God has declared himself to be. That's why faith, again in verse 6, says, without faith it's impossible to please him, for he that comes to God must believe that he is. Faith believes what God has declared himself to be. Not a modified version of it. Not man's depiction of it. But to believe, to have faith, is to actually believe what God has declared himself to be. Not what man wants him to be. Faith is believing. It's the aspect in which God gives these elders a good report. What are the things that are believed? Well, you'll notice in verse number 3 that the nature of faith or believing honors God or believes God in His scriptural record of sovereign creation of the world. He goes back to the very basic. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. Do you realize that the atheist and even the agnostic the first attack that is made on people's faith is not about their salvation. It's an attack on the creation of the world. Because that's the very first thing that he deals with. Think about all the things and acts of faith he could have talked about. And he said, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. He goes back to creation. He doesn't go back to a great act of faith. He doesn't go back to something one of the Bible heroes we read about. He says, no, faith is this. The elders receive this good report. Through faith, we understand. Now, understand is an interesting word. We see that it's through faith we understand. Why or what do we understand? It is through faith, through the record that God has given us concerning the creation and the making of all things, that the believer understands that this is true. The believer believes through faith that the record of the creation of the world is true. Prayerfully, if you're a believer here today, you've already settled that. That should not be a struggle in the life of a believer about whether creation was literal and God did God create this world. That should be settled a long time ago. And you say, well, I, I just can't settle it. You settle it by believing the declared Word of God and what God says about the world. In the beginning, God. It's, it's one of the most basic things. 
But what has happened is human logic has entered into the equation. Man has began and begun to think, I, I'm smarter than God. And he tries to introduce science. Science disproves God. Science has never disproven God. The man or woman of faith doesn't even look to science for proof of or not of God. There is no scientific experiment you can give to me that's going to make me question God's creation. I don't care what evidence you give me, because I'm going to tell you your evidence is flawed to begin with. Because it's starting from a wrong starting point. It's starting from man's human logic. This must be so. It's kind of like the whole idea of the Big Bang Theory. How does something, how does something that doesn't exist explode into something? It's a basic question. Something that isn't here exploded into something. Well, in order for it to turn into something, something had to explode. Well, the Bible says that God created the world. What did he create the world? He created the world out of nothing. How does he create out of nothing? That's what God does. God creates the world. Why? Because the Bible says that he did. So it's through faith that man understands this record. In John 3.33, our Lord makes, you don't have to turn there, He simply says, He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. In other words, man confirms that God is true by his belief. Faith believes God. Faith believes Faith believes even in the realm of human logic. You realize that faith does not even address the logic of the human. He never says, I want you to use your logic to work through these things. I want you to intellectually arrive at a conclusion. Faith is not logic. Now, it doesn't mean that logic doesn't play a part in our lives, but when it comes to this faith, he says, this isn't about logic. This isn't about you arriving intellectually at this. You logically, if logically, if you just approach creation logically, you could convince yourself that it doesn't logically make sense. And kids have gone off to colleges and they've been talked out of it. And often they're talked out of it, sadly, because some professor gives them scientific proof with a, from a flawed experiment. And nobody asks the questions. He doesn't say we understand through human logic. What does he say? He says we understand that the worlds through faith were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So the things that we see, they were made and framed by God. The believer understands that God did as he said that he did. The truth, folks, I think we need to understand this. Even the truth of the gospel is totally unacceptable to your logic this morning. And it's totally unacceptable to the flesh. If you really sit back and you think about logically the truth of what the gospel says about you, you don't agree with that. Your flesh is pushing back on that left and right saying, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. Yes, you are. You're worse than you think. And so am I. Logic says I'm not that bad because I measure my standard of badness by another bad person. 
and I say I'm better than that person, you're both equally bad. You're both depraved. You both, apart from God, are wicked. And yet, it's not logic he's addressing. He's addressing faith. The believer understands what the flesh never accepts. Your logic and your flesh will never accept the truth of the gospel. Nor will it accept the truth of creation. It will never say, oh, my flesh likes this. My flesh agrees with this. No, it'll be the actual opposite result. So the word understand, again, I don't necessarily think you have to do deep word studies to to figure this out and, and, and get a full comprehension. But the word understand has its roots in the word persuaded. So what is he actually saying here? He's saying through faith we are persuaded that the worlds were framed by the word of God. We're persuaded by the gift of faith. We're persuaded by what God has given to his people. That's why you ought never be able to shake the foundation of a believer. Because they've been persuaded by the gift of faith to believe these things are true. And these things are so. He says we understand. It's through faith we understand. Ultimately, what we see in our physical world is ultimately not all that they'll ever be. It isn't difficult for us to get caught up in the temporal things of this life. Matter of fact, every one of us is driven by something temporal this week, probably even today. Temporally, you have something you have to deal with. And we begin to live in that environment where we are, we are driven by what we see temporally, what I've got to do in this life, what I have to do in this world. Faith is looking even beyond the temporal and it's seeing the eternal. It's seeing that which is still yet to come. Man just wants proof of everything. Some people will not even have a discussion with you unless you can produce temporal proof. Try to use your Bible as your source. And they say, you can't use that. You don't want me to use the only source of truth? They'll place their faith and trust. And then they're placing faith in a scientist and saying the scientist is right because the scientist is smarter than God. It's through faith. We understand these things. Secondly, in verse 4, The nature of faith honors God, not just in honoring his record of creation, but honors God in the requirement of death for sin. The justice that's demanded by a holy God. You realize God cannot just ignore and disregard sin. He can't just say, forget about it. It is the concept and the principle that in order for that sin to be dealt with, it required death. It required a sacrifice. It required blood to be shed. Notice we have the example. And again, this is not exhaustive study of Cain and Abel. So I'm just preparing you ahead of time. We're not going into every avenue that we could go down this road. But we are going to take exactly what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. It clearly says that by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Okay, so Cain offered something different than what Abel offered. But the, 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 the clarity here is 
is it doesn't say Abel offered unto God without faith. It says by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. The faith is key. By faith, this is what he did. Now, the writer calls it a more excellent sacrifice. He offered to God that which what God required. Now, he could not offer seeing Christ clearly because Christ has not been fully revealed in the sense that we see. But he offered to God what God required. And we know that he gave to God what was required because it says by which, which means his excellent sacrifice, he obtained witness that he was righteous. That means God accepted the sacrifice that Abel made. And it's clearly called a more excellent sacrifice. As opposed to Cain. Now, if you go back and you read the account in Genesis, you will find out that there's every reason to believe that Cain did not just throw something together and just kind of offer it. Cain truly tried to accommodate and bring the very best of what he could offer. It wasn't, he wasn't lackadaisical in it. But when he offered it, he did not get acceptance. Because the work of Cain was the work of his own hands. That's as clearly as we can put this. It, it was offered the work of his own hands and Abel offered a blood sacrifice, which in that very offering, that is what God demanded. God only accepts blood that represents death, a death that is sufficient to answer the law's demands. The work of human effort or merit will never allow the law to be answered or the demands of the law to be met. Man cannot meet the demand. That's why if we said that man could produce faith by meeting the demands of the law, then he would be responsible for his own salvation, which cannot be so. Man cannot meet the demand. So the excellency of Abel's sacrifice was that he offered it specifically according to what God required. Why did he do it specifically to what God required? Because he believed he had faith. He was fully persuaded of what God required and fully persuaded that with what he offered would allow him to approach God. Can you imagine the conversations that must have gone on in that household? Now, biblically, we don't see a lot of what was happening in the household of Cain and Abel. We don't see the conversations that were going on when parents were parenting, when they were talking about these things of God. But you can certainly see here that Abel, much like Abraham, is said to have believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. You'll recall the sacrifice in Genesis 15 when Abraham offered the sacrifice and God in fire consumed the sacrifice and what he was testifying to is that the gift was received. In the same manner, Abel's sacrifice was received. That's what that phrase means, that by which he obtained witness and that he was righteous. He wasn't righteous because the sacrifice made him righteous. He offered the right sacrifice because he was righteous, because he believed God. So what does that tell us about Cain? Well, if you take the Bible as it is, Cain was not righteous. Cain did not have faith. Abel approached God with a more excellent sacrifice, which was the offering of death. 
God testified that his offering was acceptable. Isn't it interesting, this last phrase in verse 4, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. It's still teaching today. That's what that means. Abel's been dead for years. And he's still teaching us. He's still teaching us about what is acceptable with God. Did Abel fulfill the requirements of verse 6? Did he please God? Yes, because he had faith. Why did Cain not please God? Because he had not faith. Abel believed God, and it was proven by the fact that even though he's physically dead, he still has a spiritual voice. I can imagine, and again, we cannot point to Scripture in verse, and so I'm, I'm not declaring this as Bible truth that you have to take as of some new revelation. I'm not saying that at all. But some understanding of Abel had to have been that God accepts sinners only by blood alone. It had to be part of his conclusion. Because it was the sacrifice of blood that led to the acceptability. Without the blood, there would been, had been no acceptance. Knowing that God accepted Abel and not Cain, you know how the rest of the story goes, hopefully. Cain killed faithful Abel. Cain rises up against his brother and he kills him. Cain ultimately becomes a marked man and he loses everything. I don't think anybody, I've never heard a preacher ever, I mean, I've heard some crazy things, but I've never, ever, ever heard a preacher say that Cain was a man of faith. Or that Cain somehow was acting righteously. No, I believe Cain, his offering had no validity with God. Now, the modern church might be moving that way, where it just says, just be sincere, give the best of your fields to God, and He'll accept you as you are. That's not biblical. God is not going to accept even the very best of your offerings. He didn't accept Cain's because it was not done in faith. And it was not done according to what God required. So if I think that I can somehow be acceptable to God in something that I can do that is separate from the blood sacrifice of Christ, from what He accomplished on the cross, I am believing the worst lie I could ever believe. The worst thing you could believe today is that you can save yourself in any fashion. Or to even think you have a part of saving yourself. That would be the worst thing you could believe today. That's worse than believing something else about who you are. But to believe that you can be acceptable to God without faith. It would be a travesty to think that God would change who He is to accept a sacrifice that he didn't require. God said this is the way it is. All throughout the Old Testament, every, the sacrifices that were acceptable in the temple, the sacrifices acceptable in the tabernacle, blood had to be shed. The principle was always there. The blood was required. 
So we see that even in every one of these actions in this chapter, and as we read forward, Hebrews starts at creation and it brings us all the way to the place of these acts of faith being carried out. His sacrifice is still testifying to us today. Faith is eternal. We're not going to lose faith when we graduate into heaven. We're not going to have no faith. Faith is not just for the past. Faith is now and for the future. It is that very faith. Well, what is the nature of faith's reward? Verse 5, the reward of faith is the presence of God. By faith, notice we have so little about this whole interaction, but by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. Now was he translated that he not see death because of anything that he did? Was it because of a work? It said that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him for before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. When Enoch was translated without dying into heaven, he had this testimony. He had faith. He believed God for who he said he was. Folks, the reward of faith is the presence of God. We're in a reward generation. We are in a participation generation. We are in a generation that everybody wants a pat on the back for just doing something. We're in a situation where we simply say, you know, look, I, I, I deserve something. I deserve some recognition. I deserve this. And yet, you know, the ultimate reward of faith is to be in the presence of God. I'm still astonished at the account of Enoch's translation. I'm still astonished by how you look at it. You have to sit back and you have to admire what God did. Because we think about this, even as I was reading in Ecclesiastes this morning, there is an event unto all. And it talks about death. Enoch avoided all of that. That's astonishing to me. What is man's greatest fear? Man's greatest fear is death. If I was to pin you down and say, what is your biggest fear in life? Ultimately, everything runs back to that same thing, the fear of death. And yet we're told biblically, we should not fear death as those who have no hope because we have the hope of the resurrection. We have the hope of a reunion with our Savior. We have the hope of reunion with loved ones. We have the hope of being in the presence of God, seeing Him as He is, and ourselves being without sin. Folks, that is a grand reward. People get caught up in, you know, what, what, what's the rewards for serving God? Listen, the great reward of faith is the presence of God. But do you realize that that's not just something we're looking forward to? You have the presence of God every day by the presence of the Spirit in your life. Every moment of you, that you breathe, you have God dwelling within you in the Spirit. The reward of faith is the presence of God. I have God living in me. 
Biblical, biblical accuracy is important. I have the Holy Spirit dwelling within me. Not Jesus Christ. I have the Spirit dwelling within me. Christ is at the right hand of the Father as we've learned. But that Spirit that dwells within you was the promise that Jesus gave to His disciples that I will not leave you comfortless. That promise He gave to His disciples, if you're a believer today, you are experienced in the very presence of God that Jesus said, I'm going to go away. But I want you to remember this. Those who are of faith... I will not leave you comfortless. Folks, there's no greater news than that if you're a believer today. But if you're outside the body of Christ today, you are wandering and you're struggling and you're looking and you're grasping for everything you can grasp saying, I don't have that peace because you don't have faith. Faith believes God. What am I asking you to do today? Believe God. I'm asking you to cry out to God, as I mentioned last week, help thou, Lord, my unbelief. I'm not asking you to go intellectually get smarter. I'm not asking you to use logic. I'm not asking you to somehow do something to to manipulate your thought processes. No. Believe God. The biblical command to repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will not understand repentance logically. Your flesh, is, your flesh hates the fact that I even said repentance. Because you're suggesting I've done something wrong. That's what repentance is. We have sinned against the holy God. Sin is not just something bad that you've done. Sin is actually you have sinned against a holy, righteous God. And as a result of that sin, you deserve to spend eternity in hell for all of eternity. And if you've been saved by the grace of God, that will not, cannot ever be taken lightly. A true believer in Christ cannot just blow off their redemption and say, yeah, I'm glad I got that settled. No, they're continually examining their life to see if they be in the faith, as Paul said. They're continually, diligently striving to live out faith. They're not just seated on their hands saying, I'm just here, just taking it all in. I'm just here for the show. No, faith, it's active. All of these catalog of people we're going to read about, the reason they did what they did or didn't do what they didn't do is because they either had faith or they didn't have faith. Faith is active. Faith's reward is the presence of God. Imagine being Enoch. He believed God. And by faith, he was carried into the very presence of God. The true spiritual worship. You realize the only true worship God even accepts is worship that's performed in faith. You can have a thousand person gathering. And if it's done without faith... It is of no value. It doesn't matter what they sing. doesn't matter what they say. If there's no faith, it has no value. So if you know the nature of faith's reward is to be in the presence of God, what what does verse 6 tell us? That the nature of faith is that faith alone pleases God. Verse 6 is a declaration. He's not saying... Meet these conditions and then do this. It's a declaration. But without faith, 
it is impossible. It's amazing how the atheist will argue with the word impossible in its definition. None of us here, I think, struggle with impossible. It, it, it means it cannot be done. It doesn't mean it can be done under certain circumstances. It can be done under... It says it's impossible to please God without faith. Jesus Christ's own words were, without me, you can do nothing. You, you cannot do anything without me. I can't have faith without Jesus Christ. I cannot be in the body of Christ without faith in Christ. The declaration of verse 6 is clear proof that to please God is to know and to declare the gospel. Now, Abel and Enoch did not have a full understanding and believe and see exactly what we see, but they believed God. The proof is the very reason for the action. Pleasing God is coming to God by faith. It's believing that He is all that He says He is. Faith is necessary. We must believe that He is. To believe that God is not just a part of it, but to believe that God is at the very heart. He is the foundation of it. Without faith, we have an improper worship. I cannot worship if I do not have faith. Folks, even down to what we think is just the simple things. When you sing a hymn, you should be singing it with faith. Not just muttering the words to get through the verses. You're singing with faith because you understand. You're persuaded that what you're singing is true. You're persuaded that what you read is true. You're persuaded that these things in which God has declared is true because He says so. Not because you logically arrived at that conclusion. The question is before us, as we bring this to a conclusion, would anyone actually believe God and willingly come to Him as a reward if the message being delivered was not good news? In other words, if there was no good news at the end of this, would anybody come to Him in faith? We talk often about the reward. Would anybody come to God if there was not a true reward? Would it be a reward to say if you come to God, but beware, He might at some point cast you out. That wouldn't be much of a reward, would it? But He promises that those that are in My hand they will never, ever, I will never let go of them. Ever. Folks, I cannot make that promise. We can't even make that promise in our human lives. Right? We can't. We can say it. We can promise and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But we cannot 100% certainty be sure we'll hold that. But when God says, none will I cast out? He means exactly what he says. He who comes to me in faith, I will in no wise cast out. 
the person that struggles and asks the wrong question, the question today and the question every time the gospel is given that you should be asking yourself is not, am I elect? That is not the question. If you're asking the question, you're starting from the wrong premise. And folks, I'm telling you, it's out there. It's out there even starting in our circles that that's now the question that's being asked. That's not the question. The question is, is do you believe God? And do you believe He's who He says He is? Do you believe that it is repentance and belief in Jesus Christ alone and that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? I'm not asking you to get into the whosoever's. I'm telling you the Bible says that any person who says that will come unto him and they will not be cast out. And again, I'll mention it. If you sit in here today and you say, look, I just refuse to believe this. It's your logic. It's your reasoning. It's your intellect. Make no mistake, God's given us minds to think. God's given us minds to express emotion. God's given us, we are, we are creations of God and we're made in the image of God. But you have to understand, intellectually, you are never going to arrive that you need Christ. And I can't straight, say it strong enough. Help thou my unbelief. If I'm sitting here today and I'm just, I am not, I refuse to believe this, I will not believe, beg God to open your eyes. And the moment he opens those eyes, you are going to run to him and you're going to run to him and you are not going to turn back and you will say, I am, I, I will, I am not leaving you. Folks, I to, I've, I've said this many, many times. I spent a lot of years, many years, never truly understanding what my salvation was really all about. Salvation was always about me, not about His glory. And the fact that any of you that I look into your eyes, and if you are in the faith, and the fact that we can look at each other today and say that we're in the faith is, is an amazing, amazing truth. Because I know there's not a one of us that deserve it. And the question just continues to say, why in the world would he save me? If I'm not bringing him true value, I'm not making God better. I'm not making God any worse. But the continual thought is, is that every soul that is brought unto him brings glory to him. It's not even the main purpose of God to save you from hell. To save you. The reason he saved you is for his glory. But yet I plead with you that are here today that say, I'm not, I don't have faith. I can't make you. I tried this for a long time, by the way. I tried for a long time to make people believe. I can't do that. I can only declare the word and God has to give you that faith. God has to open your eyes. But I certainly see nothing wrong with begging God to help you believe. Help me to see this truth. That's the nature of faith. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father,
we stand in such great need. And Lord, we're burdened for the world outside of the church. There's no doubt about it. But Father, I think we are also burdened for inside the churches all across this world. Churches that are, and maybe individuals who are sitting what they believe to be securely. They're meeting together, they're worshiping, but there is no faith. Father, I pray that today we would see this marvelous truth and understand that without faith it is impossible to please you. Lord, I pray that through this study we don't just look at these examples of people and make them heroes, but we look at their actions based upon who they believed. And Father, it will be tempting for us to want to get into all the details of every single one of these individuals' life, but may we ultimately see your purposes in it. And Lord, again, our greatest burden today is for those that are outside the body of Christ at this moment, those who are struggling with unbelief, those who just don't even know where their hope is, and maybe nobody knows. And Lord, we as believers, we intercede and beg and ask through through Jesus Christ and his merits alone, that according to your perfect will, that eyes would be opened today, ears would be opened to receive and understand these truths, that our logic would be put aside, our, our intellect would be put aside, and that our flesh that is fighting so desperately against these truths would through your power, through the Spirit, would give way to the truth that's been preached here today. Father, we do love you. And those that are secure in your arms and in your hands, we are grateful for it. But Lord, may we not just rest and not have a faith that is not active. Our faith should be active. May we be found faithful in giving the gospel and praying for our loved ones and meeting the needs of people. May we not become so blinded to our own plight that we ignore the needs all around us. Father, we do pray that if it is your will that you would awaken this nation, that the gospel would spread like wildfire through this country and that we would see and hear accounts of people being gloriously saved and accounts of all glory being given to God. Man doing away with his own self-centeredness and doing away with his his false works-based salvation and all glory being given to God. But we also know and we submit to your sovereignty and your providential hand in all of these things. You will do what is always right. And I pray, Father, that we would submit to your will and your authority in every area of our life. Father, we praise you and we thank you for this time we've had together. May we never take a single gathering of the church lightly. May we see the great value in the church as we've learned about today. That Jesus Christ died for the church. And may we never, ever, ever think less of it. We thank you and we praise you. It's in Christ's name I ask these things. Amen.